Hey there. Welcome back to the Thoughts on Selling podcast. I'm your host, Lee Levitt. Through conversations with fellow sales leaders, sales enablement, and operations executives, and experts in sales performance, together we explore how to improve enterprise sales productivity. This is the beginning of the conversation. I invite you to take one or two interesting tidbits from the conversation with our guest, talk them through with your team, and take one specific step to improve your sales productivity. Then let me know how it goes. I want to hear what you learned, the actions you took, and the results you generated. You can find show notes, past podcasts, and a contact form at podcast.thoughtsonselling.com. And here's an opportunity. If you feel that something is getting in your way of being a more successful salesperson or manager, engaging a coach might help you to achieve more of your sales and personal goals. I've coached individual salespeople, sales managers, and company principals over the years, helping them to break through to higher performance and personal satisfaction. I have a couple of individual coaching slots opening up in early 2024. To learn more about how coaching can help you to be even more successful, please visit accelerogroup.com meet to schedule an initial conversation. And be sure to ask about our no-risk guarantee. I look forward to talking to you. And now, on to the conversation. Kevin Onorecker has joined us for the initial recording of this podcast. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. I'll just do a brief introduction for you and then can embellish it a bit. You've been in the healthcare sales and sales leadership space for 30 years, carried a bag, made thousands and thousands of sales calls. And as VP of sales, you've been responsible for teams of more than 60 sales professionals. And I got to tell you this, you said this in your written intro, it comes out, you have a passion for selling and for sales professionals. Thank you, Kevin. Welcome come aboard. Thank you very much. I'm honored to be here. I appreciate you inviting me to be part of this. I am absolutely passionate about selling and sales professionals because, as we all know, back in grade school, when the teachers would ask us what we were going to do when we grew up, nobody in my class has ever said, I want to be a, a salesperson. A sales professional drives the revenue and the success in large part for the organizations that they're a part of. It's one of the most critical and most challenging positions. And so the people who are willing to bet on themselves and bet on their success, I love that mindset and I love the people who are willing to put themselves out there. If you're competitive and you enjoy winning, and not that it's a one-sided win, right? It's a it's a win-win. If you enjoy that, selling is a great profession to be part of. I completely agree. Gerhard Gershfander of Selling Power Magazine uses the phrase co-creation, co-creating with a customer so that you're not a vendor, you're a partner or an advisor, and you bring a yeah. perspective along with some stuff to the conversation with the customer, and you help the customer see a different way of being, a different way of achieving their strategic objectives or their OKRs or, or however they measure success. Yeah. Kevin, we were talking about curiosity before. Yes. And you and I are alignment on the value of curiosity for a salesperson. Tell me why you think curiosity is so important. It's one of those attributes. I was, I was going to say skills, but I would say it's an attribute. Not that it can't be amplified once we become aware of the importance of it. I think it, to a degree, it's something you're born with. It's, it's innate. What I have seen, Lee, is that when people are naturally curious, as a salesperson, we focus on the customer, we focus on our product offering, our value proposition. You know, we're focused on, quote unquote, the business. 
so much of the business is affected by other things that are part of our customer's world and, and our world. As a sales professional, to be aware of that and to be curious, to delve into topics and to things that impact our customers and ultimately can come back to us as a sales opportunity. As an example, I was working, my sales career was spent a lot of times in hospitals. I was working with one of my representatives up in uh, the Seattle area. As we were going floor to floor in a hospital, I noticed a poster of nurses and patients, you know, everybody kind of doing the shushing photograph, like with their finger up to their mouth going shush, right? I thought, well, okay, I'm seeing this on every floor. I asked one of the nurses, I said, what's, what's the deal with these posters? And she said, well, it's part of our quiet initiative. Hospitals tend to be a very noisy environment and patients don't get the rest, which contributes to healing. So we're trying to implement specific measures to, to lower the noise levels. As it happened, the product that we were working with had a, even though it was an alarm, it had a silent feature. It had a silent notification feature. It just so happened that something we would otherwise never talk about as one of our product features was critically important in this particular hospital. As we finished that series of meetings uh, with that hospital, we began to look at other hospitals we worked with, and lo and behold, this was a movement that was going nationwide. Many hospitals either had their own program started or they were in the planning phase. It was a natural conversation opener. It was a natural opportunity for us to build upon. You just never know where being observant, being curious is going to lead to something much more meaningful. Yeah, that's great. That's a great tangible example of artifact being right in your line of sight. And yes. if you don't ask about it, you might have missed that tie-in between the goal of the organization of having yeah. quiet time and the feature in your product that aligned to that. So how does curiosity, you know, if you walk into a sales office, how does mm -hmm. curiosity show itself with a, with a salesperson sitting at their desk in front of a computer, in front of a phone? What are they doing that causes you to go, that person has a high level of curiosity? I think it goes to being observant. Mm -hmm. And asking questions, not putting somebody on, in a firing line, asking questions that are perhaps outside of the immediate scope of the business, just being interested, just caring about what's going on with them, what's, what is happening in their corner of the world. As we know, in business situations, there are decisions that are made according to business needs and business purposes. A lot of times, the difference between a product, as somebody I used to work with once said, we're talking about razor thin differences. A lot of times, the person or the people involved in the decision can have a significant influence just for their own reasons. As we get to genuinely know the other person and what's important to them, it enables us to be more successful as salespeople, but it also allows us to build relationships that are just more meaningful and rewarding. So I think that's what you see with good salespeople who are curious is they're willing to ask the questions, they're willing to care, they're willing to be involved with their customers in a way that's beyond just a sales call. 
you're right. I think the point of the relationship creation is really important mm-hmm. that some of the top salespeople are friends with their customers long after yes. one or both of them have changed organizations and perhaps multiple times. The transactional piece, and I don't mean transaction, but the transactional piece of the relationship is just a waypoint in the relationship yes. as opposed to most salespeople where that transaction is the thing. Exactly. And that's the fun part of the job, right, is building the relationships. I jokingly say, my purpose is to make your world better. I I believe in that. I want to help people perform better at their jobs. Somebody said to me once, always give your customers, right, always give them a reason to be happy to see you. That can take a lot of forms. I had a doctor I called on I always had a new joke for him every time I called on him because that that was his thing, right? right. And, and we both enjoyed that. You know, the first thing when he would see me, he'd shake my hand and go, okay, what, what do you have? What's your joke? <laughs> you just never know. That's the rewarding piece of building relationships with your customers that, especially within an industry, people may leave a place of employment within the industry, they often remain. The longer you're part of an industry and you know people, That's a very rewarding part of that experience. Let's talk about how we, by the way, I define sales enablement as the process of improving the salesperson's ability to engage with their customer, Mm -hmm. the ability to improve the results of those engagements. And in fact, even before that, the ability of the salesperson or team to prepare for that engagement, to do the research, to have the curiosity about the person and the organization and the industry, come prepared with Did you think about doing things this way? Do you know if you moved it into the cloud, you actually might not save, and I had this conversation with a customer, you might not actually save a lot of money. It'll move from CapEx to OpEx. And once you have that data in the cloud, now you can combine it with other data and you can fundamentally change your manufacturing quality results. And many salespeople won't have that perspective because they don't have that curiosity or, or the background. So the question is, How do we prepare salespeople to have those breakout conversations or the co-creation conversations? What you're talking about in that example is business acumen. Understanding your organization and your capabilities, understanding your customer and their organization and the needs that you may understand them to have even beyond what they think their immediate need is. It's the ability to understand the implication of if I do A, B, or C, and what are my options? What's the best option? Well, the way you understand, the way way you identify those options and the way you understand why something is the best is building business acumen. One of the ways organizations can help with that planning process and the ultimate results of helping salespeople to be best paired for success with their customers is to be aware of some of those things that you're mentioning, but also to bring that in as part of a specific training process to build business acumen beyond just the product knowledge aspect of things. I think this is a muscle memory that you're talking about. Business acumen is both knowledge and muscle memory of knowing, kind of having a bigger picture and then the ability to make it tangible. The muscle memory requires a lot of coaching. We haven't talked about coaching yet. I view coaching as the single biggest leverage point in a sales organization. You look at organizations where there's not a lot of coaching going on, the salespeople are kind of on their own. They're they're not they're not improving their craft every day. That's right. Except what they're doing on their own. 
or listening right. to good podcasts. Like but with a manager who takes 20% of their time to coach, now they've got a savvy third person who has their best interests at heart diving in and talking about important issues. Yes. Talk to me about coaching. What's been your experience? I could not agree more. And I think the frontline manager and a sales organization is an absolutely critical function. It's one of those impactful positions, both internally and externally, because of the impact they have on their team begins to directly impact customers. The coaching aspect of sales managers who are active day in, day out in the field with their teams, that's just so critical. Just like a good sales rep should be prepared for the call, a good sales manager understands the salesperson and what their needs are, what the organizational objectives are. Also, how do I help that salesperson perform at their best? And what is that going to involve? They're planning for that sales visit. They're planning for that just like a good sales rep would plan for a sales call and to have specific topics to coach on. That is just critical. And there's a lot of research within the industry that shows that coaching done well is probably the most impactful action on sales reps. This is a two-part question then, Kevin. Mm -hmm. If that's true, and I wholeheartedly believe you're spot on, then the two-part question is, why do so few organizations have coaching methodologies and frameworks, and why do they not hire for it? Why do they not promote for it? Why do they not compensate for it? In a default way, they do compensate for it because yeah. they, in sales, it's a performance industry. When you see better results from a sales team, often that is due to the coaching and the direction and all that goes into being a good sales leader. Absolutely. And so the, the compensation, you can make an argument, is there. Right. But you're right. I think that if you were to talk to any senior sales leader, they would probably say, absolutely, coaching is critical. If you looked at the actual SOPs and do we have an aligned sales process and an aligned coaching process to that sales process, in my experience, Lee, <laughs> sorely lacking. I did develop what I call the goal-based selling process, and I adapted it to one of, one of the companies where I was VP of sales. We had an alignment between that process and what the sales managers observed and did on their coaching rides. Then we had the feedback form completed and served as a basis of the debriefing conversation or conversations. All of that was in alignment. It seems like such a no-brainer, but it didn't exist at that organization. And I, I mean, I'm just thinking back. I don't think I ever saw anything specifically like that otherwise either. Do you think the challenge is that the default for finding first-level sales managers is to recruit from the field? And a good player isn't necessarily a good coach. A good sales rep isn't necessarily a good manager. The activities, I interests, skills are different. You don't see Ted Lasso out on the football pitch, right? There's a lot of aspects to that because some organizations really do not have a career pathway for a sales rep who wants to be, that. hey, this is what they love, this is what they're good at, this is all they want to do, then provide a career pathway that rewards and provides for continued development and the opportunity for earning all, all the things that go with career progression. Most organizations, especially small ones, don't have that. 
The career progression, the way to reward good performers in the field is to have them eligible for advancing into a sales leadership role. And another side of that is people make the connection between the person's sales results and then they think, well, this person can magically sprinkle the fairy dust on all their reps. If they get promoted, they'll teach them how to do all the same. That doesn't necessarily occur because the differences in the skill sets just like there are skills in a sales representative that can be developed, there's also skills in sales leaders that can be developed. It has to be something that's done purposefully within the organization. As you were talking, I was thinking about a good friend of mine, an outside sales rep, and I was his sales engineer. We eventually went on our separate paths. He moved up into the sales management ranks and he became a senior sales VP at a large company. And not long after that, I bumped into him and, and he was a field rep again. Mm. He said, Lee, I am having more fun. I'm spending less time at work. I'm making more money. He took the path that you described of sales rep to sales manager to sales leader to senior sales executive because that was the prescribed path yeah. without thinking, is that what I actually want to do? I think we pay a disservice to the salespeople in the field who really just want to engage with customers, want to make more money, and want to have more respect and more seniority, and really shouldn't be in management. I know salespeople who are fabulous salespeople who would make mediocre coaches or mediocre sales managers. They don't have the same set of skills that are necessary. And so we kind of force them up that path. Everybody thinks that's the right thing to do, and we don't have that alternate path. Sure, you should remain an individual contributor, and mm. here's path for increasing recognition. We have it on the technical side, right? You, you go from a sales engineer to a master sales engineer to a master principal sales engineer to patent holder. On the sales side, it's your sales rep. Your W-2 shows how well you're doing. That W-2 isn't something you broadcast every day. It goes back to organizations understanding sales professionals and appreciating being deliberate in how they create an environment for those people to be successful and remain successful within the organization, have the ability to build a long-term career. There does need to be an opportunity for people to earn promotion and advance. Right. And it's not that hard to create that. It just takes some time and effort to do it. And, and that's something that sales leadership, probably sales training to a degree, but then also HR, they can all collaborate and create something that is really going to attract and retain your best talent. And for people who don't want to pursue that management career path, that's a great option for them. Our message to the salesperson who's listening is... Mm -hmm. Don't get caught up in the undertow of sales management. Understand choices and what those choices will ultimately mean for your quality of life, both on a personal level and a professional level. I used to have people ask me because they would be on the brink of that decision. I would always tell them, don't ever do it for the money. Yes, you'll get an increased salary. That should never be a reason for taking a promotion like that. If you look at the number of hours you work versus what you pay, you probably just took a pay decrease. If you can't truly derive satisfaction and reward from seeing other people succeed, you shouldn't be in that position. And if you can't help people succeed, you, you probably shouldn't be in that position. Kevin, here's the telling question. Do you really want to spend an hour a week looking at other people's expense statements? 
Most people don't want to spend an hour a week on their own expense on statement. On their own, <laughs> exactly. I, I'm not saying I was guilty of that. Back in my early days, I, I probably had American Express. I was probably on their speed dial as to why I hadn't submitted my expense report for that month. Live and learn, right? Absolutely. So that's the message for the sales rep or a message for the sales rep. I'll ask you about another message for the sales rep. You've been invited to be the keynote speaker for the class of group in June. There's going to be 50 red shirted new hires with class of on the front and the company name on the back. What's your message to them? What's your mm. keynote message? They're young and hungry. They, they want to go off and conquer the world. What do you tell them? If you talk to people about goals, everybody understands the importance of setting goals and, and having goals. And what I have seen is kind of people don't fully understand that concept and they don't utilize goals to their best advantage. I would say first and foremost, as a sales professional, what you have to understand for yourself, for your sales leadership, and for the organization you work for the single most important thing you must do is deliver your quota. As a sales rep, when they get out into their territory, they're gonna find that they're pulled in 18 different directions every day. There's a lot of nice to do activities, and then there are some need to do activities. Even veteran sales representatives do not always do a great job of discerning nice to do versus need to do. They spend too much time following the squirrel? Way too much. Way too much. It's all good things, right? A customer halfway across the state calls and they have a problem and they take off and they burn an entire day. They're going to be there next Tuesday. Maybe it's a better use of their time to incorporate it into a travel plan that's already been made. If you go back to the most important thing I can do is deliver my quota. And what does that entail? That begins to inform your daily priorities and how you allocate your time, what customers you go to see. Everything flows from that. I've got to make my quota. That really changes. It informs all the rest of the things that you do. Newer sales reps need to understand when it's okay to say, hey, I can't get to that right now. And they don't just say that to customers. They need to be able to say that to sales leaders. Their peers, their managers. And their peers. All the people that want their time. They need to understand it's okay to say, I can do this, but if I do this, it comes at the expense of X, Y, and Z. This is the cost. You tell me what the priority, and they know already what the priority is. And then whoever's asking them, you know, yeah, you're right. Here's the priority. Focus on that. So that's one thing. The other thing is sales is a very personal endeavor. Good sales reps have to have a lot of attributes, but one of the most important is the ability to be resilient. Mm -hmm. If it's a word, I don't know, is presilient, is, is that a word? <laughs> Anticipating and knowing there's going to be a multitude of challenges that you're going to face. It's not if, it's when, and when is almost every day. You're going to take the punches. You just don't know when. Exactly. To have a strong mindset that's balanced between a strong sense of self and purpose, but balanced with, I may not know all the answers. I'm going to be open to coaching and feedback. There's a balance. People have to be resilient and they have to protect their mindset. 
Yeah. That's one of the most important things because as people are out doing their thing every day, they don't always have a peer to go stop by the proverbial water cooler and say, hey, let's cheer each other up. It doesn't happen. It's, it's very mano imano out there in the field. And a lot of times if you're meeting with customers, it may be you meeting with more than one of them. So you can feel outgunned pretty easily. And the salesperson is really the face of the organization to the customer. And that's that's big responsibility for salespeople to carry. Most take that on consciously. Others, particularly the, the less experienced one, those class subs, they pick up the phone and they start talking to a customer and they don't realize this may be the first brand interaction the customer's ever had. They don't always go well. They could be going to visit a customer for the first time they have seen that customer. But if that customer has had a poor interaction with a previous representative or not even the previous rep, somebody within the company that they had a poor experience with, they could be loaded for bear and the rep walks in and just gets blasted. I had a cleanup conversation once with the CEO of a good sized company. The prior sales team had done the customer and my company a disservice. So I sat down with her and I said, how do we rebuild trust? Mm. And she said, just show up. So what do you mean? She said, lunch and learns, bring your engineers, keep showing up. And I said, somewhat innocently. And for how long? She goes, you'll know. What she meant was, it it was not a matter of revenues because we had burnt that one out. It's not weeks, it's months. Yeah. And you're going to start to see a turn in our attitude towards your team after you keep making good on your promises for quite mm-hmm. a while. And this was a substantial count to a very large company. We had zero opportunity there because of the prior sales team. You used the term sales professional. Yeah. And you mentioned it in the conversation about people being sales professionals. Let's pick that apart. I have this exact conversation with class ofs and inside sales teams every chance I get. When you say sales professional, what do you mean? And when you tell someone else to be a sales professional, what are you asking them to do or to be? Great question. I go back to a quote from How to Master the Art of Selling by Tom Hopkins. You turn professional the day you stop playing the game for free. That was the first thing that impacted my definition of a sales professional way back when. Yep. I still think it applies. Yep. But I also think. A professional athlete, pick your sport, basketball, baseball, football, that doesn't matter. Little kids play that game. High school kids play that game. College kids and on and on. At every level, even though you're doing the same thing, you're running, you're jumping, you're catching, you're throwing. At some level, you're just not able to do that at the level of a professional. A professional builds those skill sets There's an inherent ability, but it's the practice, it's the dedication to the training, it's the weightlifting, it's all the things, it's understanding the strategies. I have to do this. I have to have my technique really dialed in every single time. People who are willing to dedicate that kind of time and attention to their craft become professionals. So the naive definition of professional is someone who gets paid for what they do. And you didn't mention that at all. You could have said it when you go from college to pro, you get paid. But you didn't mention that because that's not actually relevant. Top athletes in college are doing exactly the same things that the pros are doing. They're showing up early. They're running extra laps. They're monitoring their diet. They're spending time in the weight room. They're looking on YouTube to see best practices. Or The only difference is they're wearing a different logo 
and there's no paycheck. They're preparing to receive that paycheck and the paycheck is not the definer. You have a professional athlete. We've all seen examples where even highly touted people coming in get drafted and, and they come in as a highly touted rookie. Don't last as a professional because they don't do all the things that a professional does. I've seen some really good salespeople, even at your local Best Buy. And I've also worked with some people making a very strong six-figure income that I want to hold their card up to them and say, you're not living up to the title on this card. It's so funny you say that, Kevin. I had an hour-long interaction with Nick at Verizon Wireless, customer service person. In the course of that hour, trying to do something fairly complex, we were moving an account over. And he called my mother twice because that's what he needed to do. At the end of the call, which he was able to successfully complete the movement of her account into my account, I asked to speak with his manager. And I said, Nick is a gem. He's a customer service rep. And I said, Nick is a gem. He spent a full hour doing everything it took without question to make sure that what I wanted to accomplish was accomplished. And this supervisor said, we record Nick's calls and we use them to train everyone else. You were very fortunate to get Nick because he is the embodiment of a professional. Exactly. We've all had encounters with sales professionals that we walk away. If somebody were to come to you and say, hey, Lee, hey, I know you're just finishing your breakfast, but in the course of today's activities, you're going to go spend an unplanned hour with a salesperson. Your initial thought would probably go more to the negative than to the positive. Nick made such a positive impression. It was a pleasure. Yes. Going back to another quote from Hopkins, he said, and I'm paraphrasing, when you deal with a professional, the halter, you know, like a halter on a horse, right? The halter goes on so smoothly, you never feel it. And at the end, you just think, hey, I just had a great conversation and somebody really helped me to make a decision that was good for me. That's the way I look at a professional as well. It's a craft, people craft. And if we're focused on the other person and we're focused on helping them to make an informed decision that ultimately we know is going to be the best decision for them. And yes, we're going to benefit, absolutely, as well we should, because that is a professional skill set that we've developed and we should benefit. We're helping our customers succeed. And that's important, but we're doing it in such a way that they don't feel like hey, I just met with some sales guy. They walk away going, hey, I love when I have a chance to meet with this person because they bring me value all the way around. I think as I define a sales professional, those are some of the things that I would say. I'm going to ask you two related questions. The first question is hiring a new salesperson. Would you prefer natural talent or a hardworking nature? Skills or stick to it? Which would you choose? I have an example of probably more than one. There's there's two people that immediately come to mind that I have worked with in the past. One fellow, one of his references that knew him from childhood. This isn't going to be the sharpest knife in the drawer, but people love this guy and he works like nobody you've ever seen. I got off that call of calling references and I thought, I don't know if that's an endorsement or, or if it's not. There was a lot of things that I really liked about this person and ended up hiring him. His reference was right from the perspective of this guy worked and worked and worked. 
also, even though at the time he may not have been the most knowledgeable salesperson, but going back to curiosity and building on the ability to connect and build relationships, that guy was so genuine. People loved him, loved him. I would also say this fellow, I spoke with him probably about a year ago. He has built a very successful career in selling and has done extraordinarily well for himself. I would say that example, the people who are willing to put in the work, you can train selling skills. You can't necessarily train somebody how to have a work ethic. Kevin, I agree with you. I'm in the middle of a book by Carol Dweck on mindset, mm. the new psychology of success. Dweck says, you take a group of kids and you tell half of them they're really smart. Mm -hmm. And you tell the other half they were working hard. The first group, their performance will tail off. The second group, their performance will continue to improve because it's the work hard piece that actually drives results. If I say, hey, I'm naturally good at this, so I'm just going to show up, I might miss that sign that says shush. It's the people who are looking around saying, okay, where are the indicators of need? And, and right. the thinking of attaching that quiet sign to the product attribute, that natural ability person may go, I know what I'm going to tell them. I know what they need. And it's the person who's working hard. They might be naturally curious. So it, there, there is a bit of a blend here sure. of skills and work ethic. Ideally, you get someone who has great skills and has a great work ethic. I've worked with people like that. A guy I worked with who called the CEO of Thomson Reuters as a sales rep at a database company called the CEO of Thompson Reuters. And he says, I need to pull in a deal to this quarter, $20 million deal. I need to pull a deal into this quarter. And the CEO said, absolutely. What else can I do for you? Right. I tell the story and people's jaws drop. It's because this guy provided so much value consistently yes. to Thompson Reuters as his key account that the CEO was more than happy to give something back. That In this case, it was monetary. In many cases, it was providing other introductions around the organization and outside. When you put that effort in, it is rewarded. I have two final questions. The first question is, if we're in agreement that hard work mm. is the pathway to success for a salesperson, and by the way, I don't mean digging ditches hard work. I don't mean staying till midnight, studying product manuals or doing customer research. I mean, working smart and right. still having the rest of your life. How can we, and I'm thinking of us sales enablement Sherpas and sales managers and others, how can we help that salesperson with a work ethic mm. to work smarter, to be more effective at preparing for and engaging with customers? That's a great question. I think as sales leaders, what we can do is provide the answers to what, what's the goal, why, why it's so important, and why it matters to each person who has a piece in it, but then also how. Our job, just, just like a good salesperson, boils down a ton of information and distills the most important information at the time to the person they're speaking with. That's really part of the value they bring. People don't have, have to spend their own time doing all the legwork, as it were. As sales leaders, we can do the same thing. We can take all of our experience. We can take all the experience that we've shared with other professionals. And we can help a new or struggling salesperson to understand, here's what you need to know, here's what you need to do, and here's how to do it so that you can be successful ultimately within your sales career. Those are ways we can help people. So it's like a pit stop where the car comes into the pits, the jacks go under the car, 
the center bolts come off, the four wheels come off, the new tires and wheels go on, the four center bolts go back on, and the jack drops the car back down. There's nobody asking the driver, would you like a shake and a <laughs> burger and fries? The focus on what's the minimal information, what's the appropriate amount of information? Years and years ago, marketing operations executive told me that 90% of all of the assets in the HP content library were never touched, not once. We're seeing similar metrics in the sales enablement environments that 80 or 90% of the assets are never touched. And so what that means is if I'm a salesperson and I log on to Seismic or one of the other enablement environments or Salesforce, there's a sea of information that's available to me because there's so much, I might not even look at any of it, or I might look at one thing and say, this isn't relevant, so let's move on. What you're talking about is a minimalist environment where you get the right asset, you get the right resource, you get the right coaching and no more and no burgers and fries with that. It's a relationship. It's a career. And there will be time for the other things going back to an original topic goals, making quota. When you focus on the right things, everything else doesn't go away. But if the light is shining here, everything else is a little bit dimmer. It's a matter of understanding where I should prioritize my time, my attention, my activities, all those things in the right way. All the rest, there's plenty of time for the other non-essential things that ultimately one day will you draw upon those things? Yeah, probably so. But for today, it's what you need right now. Right. I remember about halfway through my career when I was at IDC realizing there's some things I'm never going to get to. I have a to-do list started at the beginning of each week and I updated every day. At some point I realized there was a two-part realization. The first part was I'm never going to get to everything on the list. And the second part was I have to be okay with that just the way it was. Well, I get stuck worrying about it. Kevin, you've been running a consulting practice for about three years now. What are the kinds of organizations that you work with and what kind of support do you provide them? Organizations who have sales teams, a sales organization that is outside salespeople. Those are the kind of organizations that I help with training and training from the perspective of somebody who has carried the bag for a long time, somebody who's been on many, many, many sales calls and seen a lot. Being able to come back and say, hey, in the real world, here's how you can think about things to accelerate the success curve. If somebody is able to stay in a sales career five years, 10 years, 15 years, they're going to eventually learn everything, probably more, probably more than me, but it's going to take time. If I can help shave off time and help people get a few steps ahead of where they would be otherwise, then that would be my pleasure to work with them in in that way. So I provide sales training, but I also provide professional leadership development. Going back for that salesperson who does want to move into a leadership position, how can they do that successfully for themselves and for their teams? So those, those are ways I can help people. I'll put this in the show notes. Where's the best place for people to reach you? My contact information is readily available on LinkedIn. I have my own website. Hey, I'm, I'm out there. So reach out to me and I respond equally well to phone calls, emails, whichever way somebody wants to reach out. Great. Kevin, I, I want to thank you. 
I do have to acknowledge that our first conversation about a month ago caused this podcast to move from latent stage to uh, to having an attribute of reality because I so much enjoyed our first conversation that it inspired me to say, okay, I want to have lots of conversations like the one that you and I had then and the, and the one that you and I just had. Yeah. Thank you for being our very first guest. Uh, happy selling out there. And that's a wrap. Another great deep dive into the topic of sales performance improvement. I like to end a session with specific actions. So remember, please take one or two interesting tidbits from this conversation, talk them through with your team, and take one specific step to improve your sales productivity and let me know how it goes. We'd love your feedback on the podcast and I'd really appreciate it if you would recommend this podcast to one or two coworkers. You can find show notes, past podcasts, and a contact form at podcast.thoughtsonselling.com. Thanks for listening.